either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Quantity and quality this week. We like that. It's a good week, and we can't wait to talk about it. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start off with a movie based on Disney's theme park ride, where a small riverboat takes a group of travelers through a jungle filled with dangerous animals and reptiles. But with a supernatural element, it's Jungle Cruise. Everything that you see wants to kill you and can you want to turn back? Nope, just getting started. Oh my gosh. Illusion! Torpedo. Oh my. This is a movie that exceeded my expectations by a pretty wide margin. Yeah, it's really one that speaks to the power of good old movie star charisma. It does. It really does. You know, and we, we've said for many, many years, even before we did this podcast, Emily Blunt has, has always had, except for one movie I can think of, the one Snow White movie, an uncanny ability to have chemistry with everybody. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, on top of the fact that she's just a remarkable and versatile talent, yeah. she does have that. She, she does. really does. And she has great chemistry here with Dwayne Johnson. Both of them give off incredible movie star charisma in an old-fashioned throwback kind of movie that ends up being a lot of fun. It's, of course, based on the ride. And if you have ever ridden the ride, this movie, I think, really even better than the Pirates of the Caribbean series, at least the first one, because after that they sort of abandon it, really captures the spirit of the ride. They do some wink-wink stuff that if you've been on the ride, you'll appreciate and find a way to to work in some of the some of the fun aspects while also keeping a self-aware vibe about it and it it's centered it's set in 1916 and we've got this spunky botanist played by Emily Blunt and she is searching for this legendary magical tree that has uh, these incredible powers in its petals it may or may not exist legend says it does she's searching for it so she hires this big lug of a uh, ship's captain, Frank Wolf, no relation, play, <laughs> played by Dwayne Johnson, to take her and her brother down the Amazon into the jungle searching for this. But, of course, she's not the only one that wants it. You end up having to uh, fend off the dangers from the son, the prince, the son of Kaiser Wilhelm, okay, played by, <laughs> played by Jesse Plemons. Always great. Always great to Always see him. Always great. And then once they get into the jungle, you have to deal with a curse from 400-year-old undead conquistadors. Nice. Didn't expect that, did no, you? No, and that, that, was a, <laughs> that was a curveball I was excited yeah, about. One of them played by Edgar Ramirez. He's also always great. Yeah, and you also have kind of a cameo from Paul Giamatti, which is fun, too. So the, a lot of the action, there is a lot of action. It's very family-friendly, though, action. This is uh, rated PG-13, but it's very family-friendly. You have some scary stuff, some CGI stuff once you get into the jungle with snakes coming out of skull eyeballs and things like that. But a lot of the cool CGI will remind you of Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Sure, yeah, yeah. You've got some of these conquistadors that are half there, they're half full of bees, and they're <laughs> half, you know, it's sort of, sort of cool yeah. like that. It'll remind you of that, but there's also a lot of fun. There's some some nice humor. Again, the chemistry between Johnson and Blunt is great as they go back and forth. Her character 
uh, always wears trousers. So uh, he calls her Pants. And since she, and since he is the skipper, she calls him Skippy. So it's Pants <laughs> and Skippy as they go back and forth at each other. And, of course, the more it goes along, the more maybe a little flirty that they get. And there's one really great extended scene of innuendo that uh, the parents will be laughing about and the kids will probably be going, why are you laughing at that? And <laughs> it's up to you if you want to explain it or not. Uh, so it is, it is a lot of fun. Now, once it gets to about two-thirds of the way through, there is a surprise twist in the story that takes some explaining. So then I, I thought the momentum of the action got bogged down a little bit as they have to stop and go back and explain the surprise that they just uh, leveled on us. But uh, but still, it picks up again, and it is a little bit over two hours. It's too long. It is. It's, That's just too long. It is. It's a little too long. It's one of those where you just, and there's so many like this, where yeah. you just feel, you know what? If you could have shaved 20 minutes oh, off yeah, of this thing, absolutely. you'd come out of there going, man, that was a blast. Yep. And it still is fun. Don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. You just have the feeling like it just starts to get sluggish. And it does follow a formula, yes. Uh, you've seen some of this before. But it still does it pretty well. And I think the kids will enjoy it. I think it's just a good, solid family adventure. And you can find it in theaters. You can also find it on the premium access, Disney Plus, uh, streaming at home. I think it's a good big screen or screen at home, just old-fashioned type of movie star vehicle filled with lots of daring do <laughs> in that, you know, in that throwback yeah, kind of vibe. Absolutely. That, uh, that ended up being, I think it ex exceeded my expectations as yep, well. Yep. Maybe we've been sort of um, beaten down with these lackluster Pirates of the Caribbean sequels that we're just not expecting much from these Disney ride movies. Because it's a ride. It's a four-minute <laughs> ride with no story. I mean, please stop doing this. <laughs> but as those movies go, I think <laughs> they did a pretty uh, decent job with this. The writing, there's about, I think, four or five uh, people on the writing team. And then the director is, let me say this correctly, what is it? Hyame Kole Sarah? Which, you know, it's, he's a funny guy to direct this. I mean, I'm, I'm interested yeah. in that particular choice because prior to this, go back in the day, he made horror movies. He made Orphan, and he did that first House of Wax. Not he the did. first. He did the remake of House of Wax. Then with he Paris did a Hilton. bunch of Liam Neeson's. Tons of them. All Co uh, interchangeable. The, the Commuter, yep. uh, Nonstop, yep. Unknown. And then he did, you know, The Shallows was decent. Yeah, I did like The Shallows, actually. Yeah. So now he moves up to the to the Disney big leagues. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of action and good pacing early on until it hits that surprise that bogs it down a little bit, I think is, is, is a lot of fun, and I think it'll be a crowd pleaser. And again, it just reminds you, when you get big movie star charisma with big movie star chemistry, that can really go a long way toward making you, uh, letting you enjoy a story, yep. and, it, and it certainly does here. So yeah, we like to Jungle Cruise. Again, it's available in theaters and also on the premium access Disney+. Plus. Next up is the fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. I fear I'm not meant for greatness. We all fear. But fear can be a gift. Do not waste this.
Well, this is written, adapted, uh, and directed by David Lowry, who we love. Absolutely love. He did A Ghost Story, which yep, was one of just ago, yeah. my favorite movies of the last several years. He also did uh, Pete's Dragon. Yeah. He also did Ain't Them Body Saints, yeah. which we love. Absolutely love. He's loved. a very visionary storyteller. He does... he. Great things with visual storytelling, and that's one of the many things that makes this movie worth seeing. Yes. Here's another one. This is an A24 film, and, you know, there's a whole giant population of us who are, yes, please. It doesn't really matter what they do. We're <laughs> we're in line for every A24 film. Mm-hmm. And I do love this filmmaker, so I wanted to be excited about this movie, but I find Arthurian legends as boring as I possibly can find I'm, them. I'm with you. And so for that reason, I was having a hard time. And I got to tell you what, I love this movie. Except Monty Python, The Holy Grail. (laughs) (laughs) But I did. I loved this movie. Um, It is visually just stunning. Just this, just heady, you know, visual poetry all the way throughout. Mm -hmm. Dev Patel plays Gawain, who is King Arthur's kind of ne'er-do-well nephew. He's uh, He wants to be one of the Knights of the Round Table, but truth be told, he's not been knighted yet. And so he gets an opportunity when... The Green Knight, who kind of just looks like a real mean Groot, shows up on Christmas uh, at the round table at the festivities. I know. And he (laughs) wants to play a game. It's a beheading game, everyone. Um, Did I forget to mention it's a beheading game? So Gawain says yes. And then what, you know, there's a a catch, which is that one year hence, now Gawain has to go seek the Green Knight out in uh, the Green Chapel and have his head cut off, which won't reattach itself quite as easily yeah, as this yeah. tree man says. So it's a, you know, it's a really weird kind of a story. And hundreds of years old, the it's story 700 is. 700 years old, yeah. It's based on a ballad. It's better than, for me, personally, better than uh, things like Excalibur and other films of that of that nature because it's really a coming-of-age story. That's, that's what Lowry makes this. Mm-hmm. And so he humanizes this would-be knight in a way that I don't think you often see. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to follow up on this. He doesn't want to you know put himself in jeopardy you know uh he doesn't want to to sacrifice himself for honor and he just kind of makes himself do it and and i just felt like it was in this telling a really apt sort of metaphor for coming of age also the supporting cast is glorious so so good uh alicia vikander barry kagan who we joel, always love joel edgerton, joel edgerton is so, good, so yeah. good in this ralph ineson mm-hmm. and kate dickey who by the way the mom and dad in the movie the witch yeah. a favorite of ours yeah you know they're also in this and they just add so much but the movie hangs on patel he's in every scene you know and because it's a hero's quest much of it is just him by himself uh, out in the woods and you know these treacherous landscapes and i am not always a massive dev patel fan right i'm with you I feel like very often his performances are overly earnest. Yeah, and, and forced, I think, sometimes they feel that way. But the best he's been here. Oh, yeah. this is It's a really impressive performance. A lot of it is very internal, um, but it's really very human and authentic. And, and again, I mean, I feel like that's often one of the drawbacks of these sort of Knights of the Round Table movies is that nobody seems human, and he seems very human. And uh, I just think between that, all of the performances... And just visually, the way Lowry tells the story, it's it's just a must-see. Yeah, definitely is. And this one is in theater. Theaters only Yep. Uh, this week. Definitely one for the big screen, The Green Knight. <laughs> Next, we have the story of a father traveling from Oklahoma to France to help his estranged daughter who is in prison for a murder she claims she didn't commit. This is Stillwater. It 
It will be a serious mistake to commit a crime to prove your daughter innocent. It will not get her out of jail. And it will send you in. Lord, please keep a watchful eye on Allison. Amen. Police. Did you ask her to lie? I'm trying to get my little girl out of jail. That's all I give a damn about. You sound very American right now. Good, I am. Yeah, and you're also a stranger here. What did you do? You just have to trust me. This is the latest from writer-director Tom McCarthy, who has... He's had some real highs and some lows, but uh, he won an Oscar for Spotlight. Yeah. Uh, So definitely he has done some quality work. And this is a pretty solid film. And right away, you're going to recognize a lot of similarities in the story between this and the actual case of Amanda Knox, who was in prison in Italy Mm -hmm. for years. Now, this is not... This is not an official retelling of that story. It just uses a lot of the same beats to tell, to uh, get into the relationship between this father, played by Matt Damon, the daughter, played by uh, Abigail Breslin. And it's not so much about how she gets out of jail as it is about the characters. And I think Matt Damon especially is as good as maybe he's ever been here. He's very, very effective in this role. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, he's always quite good, but I can't remember the last time I was as riveted by a performance. And it's a lot of it is a very internal oh, yeah. performance and a really humble one. You know, he plays a dad, kind of a roughneck Oklahoman, who uh, his daughter, who's in prison, does not trust him to be the one handling any of these tasks. No, because you you get the feeling you don't know specifically, but he has effed up in the past. He, yeah. he, he really has. And she he, just sees him as completely unreliable. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he struggles against that. So his what he I mean, what he wants to do is get his daughter out of out of prison. But what he needs to do is to prove to himself and to his daughter that he is not a screw up, that he can do this. And I think one of the reasons the film is so effective is that he does keep screwing it up mm-hmm. there. He keeps making bad decisions that, you know, that you would if you were his daughter, you would just be beating your head against the wall. This movie um, takes some really unusual turns. It does. I mean, it takes about a 40-minute break of the, from the story about halfway through because uh, Damon's character just takes up residence in France to be able to do a more sort of regular sleuthing. Um, yeah, because and, he goes over there originally on like a two-week stay right. and then ends up, he you know, he needs help. He's obviously a fish out of water and his Wranglers and his Carhartts. So yeah, he sticks out uh, in, in Marseille. Mm-hmm. And so he gets the help of this woman serving as a as a translator, and then she helps him dig up some clues, and she has a just darling young daughter. Oh, yeah. And he ends up moving in in a platonic way, just moving in and kind of helping them as they help him. And you're right, then it becomes about their relationship and how he bonds with the little girl in ways that you can tell that he misses that he didn't have that with his own daughter growing up. And so you have that dynamic apart from the right. dynamic of his real daughter. So I feel like what McCarthy, for me, what McCarthy was trying to do here is to to change the narrative where you, you come into it thinking this is a story about a dad who's going to do whatever it takes to save right. his daughter, which actually he says verbally many times. But what the film really is about is second chances and sort of the tragedy of second chances. And it's really about Matt Damon's character and how, how he grows and changes 
And you're right. I mean, for me, the the best moments in this film are the moments with uh, Matt Damon and the little girl, Maya, played by Lilu Savad. She's so cute. God, she couldn't so be precious. any cuter. Yeah, and this movie, too, it feels a little long. It tries to pack a lot in. It takes a surprising turn about two, two-thirds of the way through as well, which we've kind of debated a little bit uh, right. just to ourselves off at lunch about, well, why didn't he do this instead, which you might do as well. It's a little messy in spots because it does do things against convention. It does. But uh, we should also mention Abigail Breslin is also very good. I think She is very she's good. She's as good as she's been in her adult roles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and definitely benefits uh, from, from those performances. And, and it's overall a pretty well-told story. Uh, again, not based on the real Amanda Knox, but there's a lot of similarities here, and it is in theaters this weekend, another one worth it, called Stillwater. Next is the story of Leaf, who is left with a conditional inheritance when his estranged mother, Honey, dies. Before he can move into her picturesque Yosemite cabin, he has to complete her elaborate and sometimes dubious to-do list. It's called Ride the Eagle. I hereby leave my cabin to my son, provided he completes this list of tasks left for him at the cabin. I didn't really know. My mom. This list could be anything. I know. I wasn't the mother you wish I'd death. I did not teach you enough stuff. So I made this list of lessons I learned to be most important on this planet. Sometimes life is messy. It doesn't go as you plan, but it's not over. Ah, I'm too stoned for this. Are you lingering? Don't linger. Stop the tape, please. I've tried so okay, hard to get okay, this all shut together. Up. Please. Honeydew. Yes, it is. It's a honeydew list. Honey is his mom, played by only on video, played by Susan Sarandon. And the more the movie goes on, you really get the feeling this was tailor made for her, if not written expressly <laughs> for her. But uh, it's one of those movies, and we've seen some before, we're going to see more, that you get the feeling was a very uh, much of a pandemic-type project. Yeah. Very small cast, big, wide-open sets. A lot of the cast, they don't even interact personally. You've got Susan Sarandon on a video, and then one of the things he has to do on the list is reach out to the one that got away. And then you've got an ex who's only on the phone or on texting. And so, but then you you do have a, a very great cameo from J.K. Simmons, who drops in uh, later as Honey's ex-lover, who is not shy about detailing their love life, uh, as, <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny. And and J.K. Simmons is great as he always is, and that's one of the things that helps the the lessons here, the life lessons here, resonate because after you've gone all that time with pretty much the Jake Johnson show, then you have two real humans in the same room talking about losing another human. And and that does work. And Jake Johnson is very good. He's really in his comfort zone, sort of a harmless stoner guy. <laughs> he, he plays percussion. I would say bongos, but he corrects. And no, it's percussion in a band called Restaurant, which I thought <laughs> <laughs> they're called Restaurant. Okay. Uh, but he gets this in, in this uh, conditional inheritance. He's like, is that legal? And, and, and apparently it is. So he sets about going and accomplishing these tasks. And they're all about teaching him life lessons that his, his mother, they've been long estranged since she went off to join a cult at the age of 12. But apparently, she, at, at his, when he was 12, but apparently she did all right for herself because this is a sweet cabin, <laughs> I'll tell you. And he wants it, you know, but he's got to do this. He's got to do this list. And they're, it's all about teaching him things that she regrets she wasn't there to teach him herself. 
And so the lessons aren't new, but they're very sweet and they're, they're very earnest. And it's, of course, a good time to remember them, especially if you maybe have an aging parent or have recently maybe lost somebody. It'll get you in the feels maybe a little bit more. But it was uh, not only stars Jake Johnson, he co-wrote it with the director, Trent O'Donnell. And it, it probably is. It really feels like a, a pandemic project, but it's a good one. Uh, these lessons aren't new, but that's okay. It's how well they deliver them, and they deliver them just fine. And especially with the, uh, the, the, the sort of jolt that the story gets when J.K. Simmons shows up, it's a real just pleasant and, and warm, fuzzy, and funny story that is not going to blow your socks off with any original messages here, but they're still good, and right. they're still worth hearing. And this is one that's available on, it's on VOD, it's on Prime right now, and yeah, it's enjoyable, called Ride the Eagle. Next up, we have a working-class fable about a biker, a mermaid, and three shades of blue. It's called Lorelei. What's that? My new wheels. How was your day? Same old, same old. Really? I went by the pool. I saw your car in the parking lot. You are supposed to be at work. because I quit. This is from writer-director Sabrina Doyle, and it's a movie that really gives Jenna Malone the chance to shine. We've mentioned for years that she is, is an actress that never seems to age. She doesn't. <laughs> but uh, she steps into the in the forefront here with one of the meatiest roles she's had, I think. Yeah, she, uh, she really does. She leads this film along with Pablo Schreiber, Liv Schreiber's brother. Mm-hmm. And they play a couple, uh, a high school, they were high school sweethearts, and they reconnect in their small oppressed town after he gets out of a 15-year stint for armed robbery. Yeah. Uh, in that interim, she has had three children with three different fathers, none of whom have ever been part of the conversation. And, you know, she's a part-time motel maid. So that's a, and, and he's living in a halfway house and he's just trying to get some kind of work. So he's working part-time doing construction. So that's, I think, the heart of the film is really set on those sort of society's fringes, the lowest scraping by mm-hmm. kind of not even paycheck to paycheck kind of a community. And it and it really inhabits that, but finds magic there. So and one of the things that's great, I think, about Jenna Malone and her performance is that it's so robust. You know, I mean, this is definitely she is definitely not the noble poor. On the other hand, she's also she's far a far cry from like a one note white trash character. She's right. a, she's just all kinds of just love and resentment and you know sort of dreams and in other words anger a human being right and you know there are moments that it is a little bit of a mess and there are times where it feels a little bit forced but both of these performances Shriver as well they are so so solid and they defy expectations Shriver's character I think on paper is probably sort of the gentle giant type but mm-hmm. he brings a lot more to it than that and the the scenes between him and her three children are really wonderful, just exceptionally put together. Um, the the arc here is great, and and again, I mean, it's it's got a magical feel about it without ever feeling forced or fake. I, I really was impressed by this film. Yeah, so it's another one worth uh, seeking out. It's in select theaters and also on VOD called Lorelei. Next up is a documentary about Ellis Hazlip, who ensured the revolution will be televised with Soul, America's first Black Tonight show. This is called Mr. Soul. 
live and in color from New York City, Soul. I'm Ellis Hayes, the producer of Soul, and we are happy to have you with us this evening. Ellis was a gardener, and he cultivated all of these people. Black voices speaking to the problems of our time. Ellis said, if we're going to do something for the black community, it's got to be a lot deeper, jazzier, even more controversial. It's about time I hear something besides blondes have more fun. <laughs> black seeds keep on growing. There's nothing but evolution in my soul. This makes a nice bookend to Summer of Soul. Boy, it really does. And it feels that way, especially now, because it's getting more of a wider release. This is debuting on Apple TV mm-hmm. this weekend. It's actually about three years old, but it didn't really get much of a much of a play. And a lot of people, including myself, never heard of it. Loved it, loved it, loved it so much. It's The, the writer-director is Melissa Hazlip, and so Ellis, the subject of the documentary, was her uncle. And uh, he passed away in 1991, but boy, what a story. He was the producer of this public television show, Soul, with an exclamation point, which is awesome, (laughs) that ran from 1968 to 1973. And he wasn't the original host, but after they went through a couple of other hosts, he sort of reluctantly stepped into the role. And he was just fantastic. And what they put on, on the TV screens of this show, just incredible. Much like Summer of Soul. I mean, you see, of course, you see some fantastic musical performances. You've got Al Green and Billy Preston and, and, and Gladys Knight and Stevie Wonder and on and on and on. But also, one of the things that Hayslip wanted to do, he wanted to showcase black culture and black arts of writing, of poetry, and of dance. And some of the you've got uh, James Baldwin, James Baldwin, and Nikki Giovanni going back and forth, and he's taking sort of a mentor approach to her. A fantastic conversation. Uh, young Toni Morrison. Oh my! Uh, this group of poets called the Last Poets, with this angry, defiant work that is pretty much worth the price of admission uh, on its own. And it's just, it's just incredible slices of of living, breathing Black history because the show was described. Well, really, his stated goal was to entertain second, but to to, to educate first before entertaining and and to promote just the the whole black experience as much as they could, you know, unapologetically because they, they shouldn't have to. But there was TV in the late 60s. It was so lily white. And when they got the the funding to put this on, uh, they just they went with it. And it was just a culture. It was a, an incredible cultural moment of bringing this to the audience, to an audience that had never seen it before on their TV screens. And it's, a, it's just a great, great story with just some of this footage will just make your your jaw drop. And the way it's presented by uh, Melissa Hazlip, uh, his niece, obviously she wants you to get to know her uncle. And you do get to know him as well as all this fantastic footage from the performers. You get to know him a real enigmatic man, openly gay man who had no problem bringing the topic of homosexuality up in the show and also made it a point to almost all of his production staff was females, which was unheard of at the time. So all sorts of groundbreaking things going on with this man and with this show. And I can't uh, can't recommend this enough. Just loved it. But you're right, especially if you've seen Summer of Soul, which sort of makes it even more fitting that one of the new interviews that's included is with Questlove, right. Amir Thompson. And that just sort of brings it full circle, even though, as I said, this movie is actually about three years old, coming out just 
on the heels of Summer of Soul. It makes a perfect, perfect bookend. And it is on Apple TV. Please see it. It's fantastic. Called Mr. Soul! Exclamation point. Well, here's our weekly chance to say Shudder's been on a roll lately. <laughs> we keep it going. After Bobby and his best friend Kevin are kidnapped and taken to a strange house in the middle of nowhere, Bobby manages to escape. But as he starts to make a break for it, he hears Kevin's screams for help and realizes he can't leave his friend behind in The Boy Behind the Door. Kevin, can you hear me? It's me, Bobby. I'm scared, Bobby. Me too, okay? But I'm not going to leave you. Bobby, hide! It's effective. Yeah, this is writers, directors, David Charbonnier and Justin Powell. And what did they just do? They just did The Gin. Oh, right. right? The Gin, yeah. Um, and actually, truth be told, Boy Behind the Door was filmed first. The Gin was filmed second. Mm-hmm. And there's a co-star that's in both. So Ezra Dewey is the boy behind the door. He's the boy that gets that gets trapped, that Bobby has to come back for. And he's also the lead in The Gin. And Bobby, Bobby is played by Lonnie Chavis. Boy, he's remarkable. <laughs> you just have to buy, first of all, that he turns around and comes back. And then almost the whole movie is just him trying to figure out what is going on. He can hear his friend. He can't find his friend. The other big star of this movie is this big old farmhouse with, you know, long yeah. corridors and locked doors and, and you know, creepy stairways. Sure. And it's so well filmed. The movie is so, so well filmed. An incredibly small cast. Total of five people ever on screen. Most of them separated. All of the performances, very, very strong. Sometimes the writing gets away from them. There's an awful lot of the boys saying, you know, I would never leave you, you know, and, yeah. you know, friends to the end kind of a thing, which com- is absolutely unnecessary. It's just superfluous dialogue because the actions are make that very clear. Exactly. And I was sorry for them to sort of dip in there. But, boy, this movie is so just edge of your seat. And one of the things that I think they do really well is because, you know, the the lead character is this 12-year-old boy. He's confused by things an adult would not be confused by. Mm -hmm. He can't call out. There's no cell phone. There's no cell phone in the house. But he has found in a trunk a rotary dial phone (laughs) and cannot for the life of him figure out what to do with it. So he's he's talking through vets to his friend. What do I do? Do you know what? What do I do? Do you know what to do? And his friend is trying to walk him through it because his grandma has one. It's um, it's funny and charming, but at the same time, your guts are just churning. Like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. For what, obviously, they had to work with, which is a, a very small cast, one location, they just did a great job. Again, could this be a, a pandemic sort of production? Undoubtedly, yeah. Yeah, yeah like we said, there's, we've been seeing them. We're going to keep seeing them for obvious reasons. But another good one you can find on Shudder, The Boy Behind the Door. Next is another solid documentary about the legendary improv guru Del Close. This is called For Mad Men Only, The Stories of Del Close. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Del Close. If you've never heard of Del Close, that means you're not a comedian, which is probably good news for you. He was like a living legend. Google him. He's done every interesting thing in comedy, in my opinion. Del taught me the whole concept of just being fearless. He took in a bunch of really smart, talented freaks. Oh, yeah, the cult of Del. It should be the Church of Del. There's something about improvisation theater that attracts the deranged. I'm obsessed with it. He came up with the line, you have a light within you, burn it out. And if you fall off the stage, too bad. 
It's kind of like fireworks, the most ephemeral of art forms. You know, once it's gone, it's gone, baby. There's the after image for a few seconds. But nobody will ever see anything like it again. This is another one on Apple TV, mm-hmm. and Matt Wiener did the review for us on Mad Wolf. Loved it. Yeah, Del Close, I didn't realize, I immediately recognized his face. Yep. If nothing else, if you saw The Untouchables, he's the guy that comes in and drops the bribe off to Kevin Costner early on, and then just, huh, huh, and gives you that funny smile. He has such a unique face. Yeah, he does. And I had no idea that guy was such a legendary figure in comedy and in improv but that is why documentaries like this exist. That's right because I would not have had any idea either and and not only is it a story about him but a story about really the beginning of improv which you know you sort of think didn't it always exist? It did not and the other thing that's so fascinating about this movie is who shows up to talk about how oh, great Del Close is? Everybody. Everybody you does. Yeah. Oh yeah Bob Odenkirk has great stories. I mean he just he influenced you name it. So many, yeah. hundreds and hundreds of the comics that you grew up with and the comics that you know today. And it's a smarter film than just that. It's not just a bunch of people saying how great he is. I mean, it kind of digs into a lot of different areas and issues. And it's just, especially if you have any interest in comedy, but it, even if you just like documentary or, or you know, history, it's, it's a fascinating film. Yeah, unfortunately, Del Close passed away in 1999, relatively young. He was only 64. Yeah. So that's a shame. And this is writer, this is director and co-writer Heather Ross. And just fascinating about someone you probably don't know a lot about, but it's worth finding out more. And as we said, that's on Apple TV called For Mad Men Only. Got a comedy next with less than a month until the birth of their first child, Jackie and Elliot embark on a madcap odyssey of self-discovery in an attempt to rid themselves of the inherited dysfunction of their own upbringings. This is called Fully Realized Humans. What if we challenge each other? What if we challenge each other to, like, activities and tasks? Like, we have a month I like this. before this baby is coming. Like it. It's we a short month. we got four weeks to become fully realized humans. Yeah! Yeah! We've been going through this intense transformation for the first time we're like i can totally show you me you can totally show me you i think i need to punch somebody in the face the thing that's nuts is this other people don't get it amazing this was written by joshua leonard from the Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. you may remember, and also Jess Wexler from Teeth. Yes. Movie we love. And then uh, Joshua Leonard, he directed it as well. And it was reviewed uh, at MedWolf.com by Brandon Thomas. And he admitted that what you find here, you'll find a silly comedy, yes, but you'll find one that scores through these characters and the chemistry of these two performers. It treads somewhat familiar ground. It is that panic that new parents have just before they have their first baby, and are we going to screw this up? Right, right. And I think that that's pretty um, relatable to a lot of people, but really what makes this movie sing is the chemistry between uh, Wexler and Leonard. Yeah. They bring these characters to life. You want so much to, to not just go on this adventure with them, but hang out afterwards. Yeah. And I think that that's the charm that makes this movie well worth seeking out. Yeah, and as uh, Brandon points out, and again, you can read his full review at madwolf.com, it may be silly, but it speaks to serious topics. Yeah. And it does it in an entertaining way, and that is on VOD. It's called Fully Realized Humans. And if there is a weak link in the chain this week, it's probably this one. A modern take on the classic tale of Oliver Twist is just called Twist. Mr. Twist, what else can I call you? Oliver. I know you're pulling a job. I want in. You're hitting Losburn. A once prestigious art dealer. Impact. 
He took everything from me. Everything. Now I'm going to return the favor. We're on. Hey, no way you can keep up. To pull this job off, you'll need to twist. Keep up. My kids are not disposable. That's exactly what they are. You better pray it goes like clockwork. Be careful who you trust, because people only see what they want to see. Not if you know where to look. So Oliver Twist, modern day London, Lena Headey is uh, the Bill Sykes character. Mm-hmm. She plays Sykes. That's okay. Yes, I want to see how that goes. <laughs> and Michael Caine plays Fagin. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, yes. That's fine. And Jude Law's son, Raffy Law, plays Oliver. Rafferty. Rafferty plays Twist and looks just like his dad. So, okay. <laughs> but... Uh, one of the things, Christy Rob reviewed this one for us at madwolf.com. And I think the first thing that is a, a real knock for this story is that they really neuter the whole kind of class struggle that was the heart of, of course, the novel and every interpretation thereafter. Yeah. Instead of making this like, it's more like Robin Hood and his merry band. With a lot of parkour. A lot of parkour. (laughs) A great deal of parkour. And and that's the interesting part, I guess, is just the filming of the parkour sections. That definitely gives the tale a uh, visceral excitement that maybe you don't always get from Oliver Twist. But on the whole, I mean, the, the movie just... It just doesn't work. Yeah, it's sort of an ambitious swing and pretty much of a miss. The director is Martin Owen, but... It's one of those that if you showed it to me on paper, especially with these stars, I'm like, okay, right. all right, let's see what what's there. Uh, not not a whole lot, but it's out this weekend on VOD as well, called Twist. Hey, let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, talking with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. I imagine one of the big uh, items in your news file, Scarlett Johansson suing Disney. Yes. There's been a lot of stuff about this. I mean, really, ever since December, when a lot of movies started going day and date, both on a streaming service and in theaters, whether it was for an extra fee or not. But, yeah, Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney for the fact that they put... Uh, Black Widow on Disney Plus as a uh, extra fee premiere access mm-hmm. title on the same day as its theatrical release. Uh, the argument being that you know since she has back end points on it, it damaged the theatrical run of the film. Right. Which you know she might not be wrong on that. But um, I- I've seen a couple of people say that she doesn't quite have a leg to stand on. But I would say the past I don't know. Eight months or so have proven otherwise. I mean, you know, Gal Gadot and uh, Patty Jenkins mm-hmm. threatened to sue Warner Brothers back in December. They ended up getting extra bonuses for Wonder Woman 1984. Denzel Washington got an extra payout for the little things. I'm sure there's been more throughout the year. Yeah, you know, James Wan will probably get one in September for his new movie Malignant, and so forth. And, and I'm wondering. So, uh, odds, odds are good that Disney is going to have to pay out on this. You know, it's it's just another one of those extra pandemic things, and it's not yeah. the only types of lawsuits we're seeing right now either. And I'm wondering too if maybe part of the reason for doing it is to set some sort of precedent down the road. Uh, it could be. 
I know um, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt were able to rene- renegotiate some, you know, substitute bonuses for Jungle Cruise. But, yeah, this is probably, you know, all of this together is probably going to end up setting some sort of industry mm. ruling going yeah. forward about, you know, what to do in cases like this. Where sure. Stars are expected to take less money up front in exchange for you know, back-end points on yeah. the end of something that's yeah. expected to do well. And then when you know you do something like this, they're not going to get that money that they expected to get. Yep. It will definitely be interesting to see how it pans out. All right, what else is going on? All right, well, on the release date front, if anyone's been dying to see the new Nicolas Cage movie, Pig, and either doesn't have a theater playing it near them or just can't get out to a theater. It is hitting uh, VOD next week on August 3rd. And then Shudder has two new movies, brand new movies this month. Um, the first one, Bleed, Bleed With Me, will premiere on August 10th. And the other one is Mosquito State, and that will hit on August 26th. Uh, for better or worse, Glenn Danzig's Bloodsucker Spaghetti Western Death Rider in the House of Vampires will see a limited theatrical release on August 27th. I'm just going to go ahead and guess worst, but we'll see. <laughs> right. Um, IFC has picked up the rights to the con Film Festival favorite Bergman Island. Uh, that'll be coming out on October 15th and stars Mia Wasikowska, Vicky Creeps, and Tim Roth. Okay. On to some movie announcements. Um, All-Star Ensemble Murder Mysteries really seem to be bouncing back in a big way. Mm -hmm. Murder on the Orient Express and Knives Out were both successes, and they both have sequels due out next year, but there's going to be at least one more hitting in 2022. It's titled See How They Run. It's set in the 1950s on London's West End, where someone's murdered on the set of a film that's based on the popular stage play. Uh, the cast includes Adrian Brody, David Oyelowo, Ruth Wilson, a boatload of British character actors, and then our investigators are Sam Rockwell as Inspector Stoppard and Saoirse Ronan as Constable Stalker. Mm. So that sounds entertaining. Yes. And, hey, maybe if it gets a sequel, they can call it Stop and Stalk. So, <laughs> <laughs> the other big news of the week, you know, beyond lawsuits and everything else, was that Universal and their streaming service Peacock have banded together to slap down a whopping $400 million for a new Exorcist trilogy of sequels. Yeah, I saw that. And Ellen Burstyn is going to be a part of it. Yeah, she's coming back to play her character from the original movie, and Leslie Odom Jr. is going to be the star of at least the first one, which will be directed by David Gordon Green and his Halloween writing team, Mm. including Danny McBride. So they're continuing on down the horror line. They are. And I I imagine they'll shoot this after they shoot um, Halloween Ends because, you know, Exorcist 50th anniversary is in 2023, and I suspect they'll want to hit that. Sure. Yeah, be looking forward to all that. I appreciate it. Anytime you want to check out the latest news, you can find Daniel on Twitter at The Schlocketeer. We'll see you next week. All right, see you next week. Okay, looking ahead to next week, we've got one big one. The new Suicide Squad is out, getting some nice early buzz. Also, Vivo, uh, animated with Lin-Manuel Miranda writing the music. Also, another one getting good buzz, Annette. Swan Song. John and the Hole, that one we saw a long time ago, and it is, it'll get you talking. Yeah, well, yeah, well, Teddy. A Whirly Bird. And Mondo Hollywood. All right, and there'll probably be at least uh, one or two others pop up. We'll see. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything this week. Certainly a lot of good ones. 
to chew on. You can always find us uh, on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus in the main website with all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcasts. If you'd like to join the Fright Club, we'd love to have you. That's all right there at madwolf.com. So get in touch if you can. Uh, We will talk to you next week. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.